I have a couple of marks on my forehead from, uh, from some bad decisions I made, some poor judgment I had in my youth's years. Um, I, see a, I see a couple of children in the room, but most of the teenagers and children are down the hallway, and so this is kind of a safe story to share. Um, I have these scars on my forehead um, from, a, from, like I said, poor judgment, and uh, permanently my right eyebrow is a little bit higher than my left eyebrow, so when I'm talking to you, I'm not giving you sass or anything. It's just the way my face looks. And... Uh, and let me tell you what happened. I was 15 years old, and um, my friends and I, we were driving home from a late-night church event, and we were driving home around 10 p.m., and we were about two blocks away from my house, and I was sitting in the back seat. I was always a little bit younger than my friends who could drive already. About two blocks from my house, I, I say to the driver, Jordan, slow down. Here's my first poor judgment. I'm going to roll down the window and get on top. <laughs> Poor judgment number one. Poor judgment number I roll down the window and he slows down and I crawl on top of the car. Aiden, you're going to forget this. Don't worry about it, buddy. <laughs> and I get on top of the car and I lay on top of the car and so my belly is on top of the, his, his sedan and my hands are holding on to uh, the sides of the the car, and Jordan, he hits the gas, and, uh, and it is fun, oh yeah, yeah, bad judgment is fun sometimes, and, um, and then headlights come the other way, and I think to myself, for sure, it's a police officer, it's never a police officer unless you're on top of a car, then it's a police officer, so poor judgment number two, I decide to myself, look, I know some of you guys think I'm smart, I'm not, and um, I decide to myself, I'm gonna, if I, maybe he won't see me if I slide over to the right side of the car, right? <laughs> so I think to myself, I'll slide over and he won't see me on top of this car over here. And, uh, and the car whizzes by, it was not a police officer, and, but when I'm, hang, when I'm off to the right side, my legs fall off the car and I am just holding on top of the, I'm holding on top of the car, um, kind of palming it with one hand and holding it here, and my legs are dangling. And Jordan lets the other car pass, and I'm screaming. <laughs> and he doesn't know my plight on top of his car, and when the other car passed, Jordan speeds up again. So now I'm holding on, and I think to myself, I am going to fall. And and we're just a couple houses away from my house, but Jordan thinks I'm having a great time, so he's driving kind of quick. And so I have in my mind um, my poor judgment number three. I've seen it happen in movies. <laughs> and that, you know, you can pump your legs like you're running, and when you touch down, you'll just be running. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I so I start pumping my legs, and I let go, and boom. And the next thing I remember is that I was up and running next to the car. We were just a few houses from my house, and they said, are you okay? I said, I don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> my face really hurts. And um, we go in, and I have a couple of lacerations here. They were open an inch wide, and my face, my whole cheek was skinned away, my shoulder, my elbow, my hands, my knee, my hip, 
um, my clothes. It was it was very strange. I, I kind of looked like um, the Batman villain Two-Face because, like, <laughs> we go to the hospital and we clean myself up. And, um, you know, I, I lied to my parents and uh, I said to them, well, I remember my parents were asleep and when we got to my house, was, I, I uh, looked at myself in the mirror and I said, do I have to go to the hospital? And I looked at my friend, her name was Joey, and the moment I looked at her, she burst into tears. You know that's a bad sign, right? <laughs> and so we go to the hospital. I tell my parents that I was running down a hill and I fell. And, um, and they knew that I was lying. Um, but that didn't matter. They knew that their son needed help. And so we went to the hospital. I got stitched up several weeks of cleaning up. But isn't it the case? Isn't it the case that sometimes... Uh, we wear the marks of our poor judgment right on our faces, right? When we make poor judgments, it's not something that we can always hide. Our scripture today wants us to be aware that your poor judgments, your poor choosing is a public thing. And so in a radical way, through a radical story, the scripture calls us to better judgment. The scripture calls us to wisdom. Now, our scripture today, our reading, is a portion of a story that is being told in the book of Revelation. Last week, we started that story, and through this whole uh, sermon series, my goal is to kind of try to demystify Revelation for us, try to help us understand what this book is really about, and to see it as the story that it is, the allegory that it is, because we all know that allegories and stories can contain deep deep truth. Now, it's always folly to try to explain revelation in a literal way, which is what people have always done. Today, we heard about the beast, and his number is 666. And so, for centuries throughout Christian history, everybody has been asking, who is that beast? Is it Nero? Is it the Pope? Is it Bush? Is it Obama? Is it Trump? Is it... right? Throughout history, <laughs> throughout history, we've always tried to take this literally and say, who is this beast? The book of Revelation forbids that. It is an allegory of deeper truth. So we're going to walk into this, walk through this a little bit. Last week, we started the story. It starts with a woman who is crowned with 12 stars. She is about to give birth. This, the child she's going to give birth is the Messiah. He will rule the earth, but there is a dragon who wants to rule the earth, and the dragon has ten heads and ten crowns and seven horns, and the dragon attempts to go after the child, but the child is protected, and the child is whisked up to heaven, and so the dragon goes after the woman, but the woman is protected by God, and so left knowing that the dragon can't touch the Messiah, knowing the dragon can't touch the mother, the dragon goes to make war with the rest of her children, which, which last week we understood as us, the church, siblings with Christ. The dragon comes after us. The dragon comes after us by start, first by gathering the dragon's forces, its forces. First, he calls a beast out of the sea. And the beast out of the sea, we didn't read about the beast out of the sea uh, this morning, but the beast out of the sea has uh, ten heads, just like the dragon. But one of its heads 
has a fatal wound and looks like it had been dead, but now is alive again. And uh, this, this beast, uh, so what is, what is, oh, first, my note is that the dragon calls up one beast from the ocean, and in a minute, he's going to call up another beast from the land. And so what the dragon is creating is an unholy trinity, right? The dragon, the dragon is the ultimate evil, but brings in two other beasts to help evil out. Evil is mocking good. Evil is imitating good, right? The first beast looks like the dragon, has ten heads, seven horns, ten crowns, but it imitates the lamb. The lamb was already brought into the story. We know what the lamb looks like. The lamb looks like somebody who has been slaughtered but is yet alive. The lamb, of course, is Jesus Christ who has been slaughtered, but he has been made alive. And there is nobody mightier than the lamb. The first beast looks like the dragon, but imitates the lamb. Then we have the second beast come out of uh, the water or the land. And notice in the reading today, it had heads like a dragon, but it had horns like a lamb. The second beast is trying to look like the lamb. And then we hear what the second beast does. The second beast makes everybody worship the first beast. The second beast makes an idol, makes everybody worship the idol, gives power to the idol so that the idol can breathe fire. And everybody who doesn't worship the idol or the beasts is killed. And then we get this terrifying notion that the beast forces everybody to put a mark on their forehead and on their hand. And if you don't have this mark on your forehead or your hand, then you can't buy or sell, you can't operate in society, right? I've heard people be afraid of this mark. You gotta be afraid of the beast. I don't know how you've heard people talk about the mark of the beast, but um, a while ago, and there's always this talk about like wearable technology, right? You have your credit cards in your wallet, but now you can have your credit cards in your phone, and it won't be long before you have your credit card right there in your hand, right? And you just scan your hand. And when people were talking about this, man, did people erupt and say, this is the mark of the beast, this is the mark of the beast, don't get scanned, and, and people talk about, don't get tattoos, don't, all these things, you'll receive the mark of the beast. Well, I don't think the mark of the beast is as literal as that. Um, the mark of the beast takes its notion from Ephesians, um, oh, I, I'm skipping ahead just a little bit here. I'm out of order, I'm so sorry, people, what am I doing here? Sorry, Eric. My goodness. Oh, that's okay? That's, I'm doing all right? Like this is the first time. <laughs> easy, easy. The book of Revelation isn't exactly in sequence either, so I'm just keeping you on your toes. All right. So let's talk about this second beast with, uh, this beast with one of its heads who's been slain but is still alive. There was a myth about the most devious ruler and Roman emperor. His name was Nero. 
Nero called himself the Lord and Savior. Nero said, you must pledge loyalty to me, and you must claim the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. If you did not pledge loyalty to Rome, you would not be able to buy and sell in the marketplaces, right? There was then Nero, he was the worst. He, he loved to torture and kill Christians. And um, then Nero died, and the Christian world rejoiced for a moment. But then a myth came out. It was called uh, the Nero Divivus myth that Nero wasn't actually dead, that he was merely fatally wounded, and he's waiting in the shadows to come after Christians again. I'm going to talk about the boogeyman. There is no scarier story than that, that Nero, this enemy of Christianity, who you thought was dead, is actually biding his time and waiting in his shadows to come after you again. Right? Nero, for sure, is, um, is one of the inspirations for these beasts. Nero strikes right at the heart of fear for all Christians in this time. We get a second beast, and we're told his number, and you must have this number if you're going to buy and sell in the marketplace. And we are told the number, it's the number of a human being, and the number is 666. Whew, Revelation knows how to tell a story. 666. Back in those days, there's a process called gematria. What that means is you can have a special number for your name. So if you needed to send a secret letter to maybe a secret love, you would tell your secret love your number. And then when you write a letter, you would sign it with your number, and only your secret love would know that it's from you, right? So, for instance, if my number was 913, which is just my birthday, it's not assigned to the, the letters in my name, and I wrote a love letter to Joanna, and I signed it 913, she would know it was me, but nobody else would. In order to figure out the name and the number, you have to first know the name, and then when you see the number, you'll know that it goes with that person. Book of Revelation does something strange for us. It doesn't give us the name. It just says, this calls for wisdom. Calculate, calculate the name and number of the beast, and then it tells us the number. For it's a human number, and it is 666. Now, everybody has tried to figure out who this number is. Who does this number belong to? I've heard Barney. <laughs> 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 of course... <laughs> Of course, uh, of course, Hitler, of course, um, the Pope, and you know, all these different people. Um, but here's kind of the first ones that people think. So 666 gets us to Nero, Caesar Nero, in Hebrew, though, kind of. You have to really work the numbers to really try to make it fit. And it only works in Hebrew, but the New Testament was written in Greek. So it's a little contrived to try to make 666 into Caesar Nero. Caesar Nero in Greek comes out to 616. So some of your Bibles have a footnote at the bottom that says some manuscripts say that the number is 616. 
16, right? Um, and which is interesting. So what that means is that Christians later on, as they were copying Revelation and passing it down, they were saying, uh, oh, we messed up these numbers. The number is actually 616 because this is for sure Nero. I have a different idea of what this number might actually be. For sure, Nero inspires this beast. Nero inspired um, the image of this beast. But is this beast actually Nero? I want you to take a look at something. Here is a helmet. It's a Nazi SS helmet. You see its shape. Now, I wasn't I obviously wasn't around, and, and I didn't see these helmets. I didn't, I didn't know of the Nazi regime until I was much older. I, it was history for me. It was history for me. But this helmet is iconic, and it strikes fear in people who were around during that time, who were affected personally or families were affected personally through it. Right? So that helmet, the Nazi SS helmet, is, is actual, real-life, portrait of evil. When George Lucas decides, I'm going to invent a character that is the embodiment of evil, he comes up with Darth Vader. Darth Vader's helmet is an exaggerated form of the SS helmet, right? And so, when you see Darth Vader, you know automatically this guy is evil. This is evil, it does not mean that Darth Vader is a Nazi or that Darth Vader is Hitler. George Lucas isn't trying to say anything like that that's that literal. But George Lucas takes an image from real-life evil events that strikes fear in his audience and, and uses it to inspire his portrait of evil, which is Darth Vader, <clears throat> at least in the first movie. And by first movie, I mean, I mean the fourth movie. But anyway, <clears throat> absolutely, Nero was an image of evil, a real-life image of evil that struck fear in the hearts of Christians. Nero demanded loyalty from his subjects, or you could not live. And so John, John the Revelator, writer of this book, he takes that real-life image and applies it to his image of ultimate evil. So for me, the number 666 is not a specific person, but is a symbolic number. Three sixes. Three means divine. Six means incomplete. This number 666 is divinely incomplete. It is a number that symbolizes ultimate evil. It is not a person in one specific time or another. And because it is not a specific person to a specific time, all people in all times can read this story and affect them. Does that make sense? Think about evil. They, it demands absolute loyalty. Evil wants you to be loyal to it, doesn't want you to ask questions, doesn't want you to probe deeper. Evil isn't looking for partners. Evil is looking for foot soldiers. It wants people to just line up. The mark of the beast, this is a, 
This is a mocking of the seal of the Holy Spirit, which we have in uh, Ephesians 1 and Revelation 7. It's in contrast to the seal of God that he puts on those who love him, who come to faith in him. It is not a, it is not a literal seal. I did not receive a stamp or a tattoo when I came to faith in Christ, right? And certainly not on my forehead. You know, the marks on my forehead are from dumb decisions. <laughs> <laughs> the beast wants loyalty, does not want partners. In contrast, Christ in John says, I have not come call you servants, but I've called you friends. Here is my commandment to love one another as I have loved you, love one another. This is Christ's call to loyalty. Christ calls you to love him as he loves you, but also to love one another. Christ calls you to a partnership, to cooperation in his kingdom. He wants you to ask questions. He wants you to voice your displeasure. He wants you to pray for the things that you need. This is our leader. This is the lamb. And we get an image of the lamb and the lamb's gathered forces. Revelation calls them the 144,000. We heard about them earlier. They're in chapter 7. John, an angel comes to John and says, hey, come take a look at the redeemed of God. Come take a look at who God has sealed with the Holy Spirit. And he hears a number. He hears 144,000, 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel. That's the number he hears. But when he turns and looks in chapter 7, it says that he sees a countless multitude from every tribe, language, and nation. These are the redeemed. So here where it says 144,000, there's no reason to take that number literally. In fact, when you turn and look, you'll actually see that it's a countless number of people. By the way, they're not dressed for war. They're dressed in white. They're dressed for a wedding. They're dressed for a party. The beast gathers its forces. The beast demands unflinching loyalty. The lamb gathers his forces for a party. The, the lamb gathers his forces for a wedding. These two forces are going to come to clash, and we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> but the call is for wisdom. The call is for wisdom. The dragon and the beast they want to look like good. They, they masquerade as God and they masquerade as good. And so for us, we are, called, we are called to wisdom. We are called to cling to the lamb, cling to Jesus. Use your judgment. Something may look good, but it may not be good. If it if it refuses for you to question it, that's a sign. That's a sign. What's your takeaway today? The first thing is to name evil. Name evil. There is evil in this world. Revelation is an allegory. It does make it very black and white. And we know the world is not entirely black and white. 
But there is evil, and it is our job to call it out, to say this is wrong, this is evil, and then to be the alternative, to heal, love, teach, and lift people up in God's name. Be the people that follow the Lamb wherever the Lamb goes. Secondly, reaffirm your highest loyalty to the Lamb. My highest loyalty is to Jesus and to Jesus' kingdom, the new creation, the day of the Lord, the realm in which God reigns. Now, my loyalty to the Lamb will sometimes find good partners with other organizations and systems that make good things happen. But there are also times when my loyalty to the Lamb means I need to separate myself from certain systems and parties and groups. The call is to wisdom. When do you separate from certain parties and groups because of your loyalty to the Lamb? It calls for wisdom. Finally, I'm just having so much fun in Revelation. I'm sure you all are as well. I invite you to come back and have Bible study with us. We're having a great group. We're having a great conversation. It's tough, but it's fun, and I love it. Uh, this afternoon, take some time. Read chapters 14 through 17, I think, and join us this evening for the discussion. Evil is real, and evil will imitate good. It calls for wisdom. How will we know good from evil? We do this by clinging on to Jesus by praying, saying, Christ, show me the way.